continuing on with the series of sermons that started last week entitled The Greatest of These. I'm sure Pastor Jeff introduced you all to that last week. Today, the title is We Know in Part. We're going to be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read from there in just a moment. We know in part. That's going to be kind of our focal phrase for today. Where has the partial knowledge of man brought us? It's kind of the question I want to lead in with. I mean, we can see as we look back on history that knowledge has been acquired and that lots of good things have come from it, right? For instance, I have this cell phone in my pocket. What a marvelous piece of equipment, a small, like a mini computer, right? I mean, we can access all sorts of things. It tracks our friends and family for us. It tracks us for them. You can search the World Wide Web on it, right? It's, there's a lot of good information there, and there's a lot of bad information as well. It is technology at its best, and it's man's knowledge at its best. Man has done a good job in, in the mandate that God gave us to be over the world, to rule over the world, to make good and continue the good that he started with creation. We know in part, though, we don't know everything. Here's a reminder. The Supreme Court met last week and heard arguments on a Mississippi law that's been recently passed that says abortions after 15 weeks would be banned. Now, the Supreme Court, again, looking at the constitutionality of that law in regards to the original law that was passed, Roe versus Wade, the court's decision on this case could impact that original law. Again, talking about our partial knowledge, remember that for some... It's a question of viability. In other words, the viability of the fetus. Can the fetus remain alive outside the mother's womb at 15 weeks? At this point, no, it cannot. 20 to 24 weeks, that's another story. However, 20 to 24 weeks was out of the question at some point in time in our history. Things have improved man's knowledge is getting better. They're only discovering what God already knew, correct? So for some, it's a question of intrinsic value, right? So some, it's, it's a question of viability. For some, it's a question of, of intrinsic value. I would say in the Christian community, that's where we stand, right? There's intrinsic value in the life of the unborn, not at viability, but at conception. It's about knowledge. It's about what we understand. It's about what the Lord has told us. Uh, one justice, Sonia Sotomayor, compared an unborn fetus at the age of 15 weeks to the brain dead, a person who has no longer any use of their brain and is laying in a vegetative state. And we can kind of see where that's going. No value here, no value here. Before, and if we let it go on, there will be less and less value for mankind. I think we see that going.
going on again as we speak. She says the fetal movement doesn't prove consciousness. So again, we're talking about a limited knowledge, a, a knowledge based on uh, one person's understanding and many persons' understanding within our country and probably across the world. What, what is knowledge? It's a clear and a certain perception of that which exists or of truth and, and fact. It's obvious that we as humans have limited only partial knowledge and sometimes even perverted knowledge. As I point back to my example, God, on the other hand, has a perfect knowledge of everything that he has made and all of his works. So then we need, as humans, if we want to understand things more and more correctly and get the truth, we have to go to what we know is the truth, God being the source. Job 38, 1 and 2. If, if you look through the first part of the book of Job, you're going to see a dialogue between Job and his friends, back and forth, back and forth. And at some point, God breaks in, it's in the 38th chapter, and God says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Now remember, in all this dialogue that Job and his friends had back and forth, there was a lot of knowledge. It was a lot of their understanding, of a, lot, a lot of what they saw and observed and experienced in life was coming out. Listen to what God said. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And guess what, guess what God had said about Job before? He was a righteous man, righteous above all. Now, he had no knowledge, right? So that kind of gives us a comparison. Where is our knowledge? You see, God is the holder of all knowledge. Can't forget that. The first step, somebody said this, the first step to knowledge is to know that we are ignorant. To realize that we don't know anything. The first step to understanding anything is to know we don't know anything. Here's another one. God is, the, is by definition the holder of all possible knowledge. It would be impossible for him to have faith in anything. Right? Because he knows everything. Faith, then, is built upon ignorance and hope. We know in part. Let me remind us of that little phrase. Before now, we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We know, in part, Paul reminds us of that, several different kind of ways there in that passage, uh, but we know what we need. God has provided the knowledge we need 
and it comes from his word ultimately. You know, even Jesus is called the word, right? How does God provide the knowledge that we need? How does he do that? At least three ways. Through our observation, through our experience, and through our faith in his word, faith in him. Now, I said at least three ways, because I do want to make a point here. We, we can never come up with an exhaustive list. That's how the Word of God is. I, I, I can tell you, I've, I've preached a few sermons, not a lot by any stretch, but I can't say that I've ever preached or taught a lesson that was completely comprehensive. There's always more to God's Word than what we can get out in a few minutes. There's always more. There's another place to go. You can pick it apart and always find something. Well, why didn't you say this? What? A sermon's always incomplete. A Bible lesson's always incomplete. There's always more to it, right? At least as far as the subject goes. We can, we can all observe and gain knowledge. Now, that, that going back to the three ways we can gain knowledge through observation, experience, through faith, we can all observe and gain knowledge, right? We can watch and we can listen. We can pay attention to the others, the examples in our lives, the teachers in our lives, the preachers in our lives, our parents, our grandparents. We see, we observe, we listen to what they say. We should learn and gain knowledge from that. We can read. My dad was a reader. He still reads a lot, uh, even at 89 years old. He taught us, if you want to know things, get a book, read. You're going to learn a lot. We've taught our kids that it's a truth. You can, you can find out a lot of information. Now, there's some, there's some junk that you can read that will do you no good at all. But, I mean, good history, good Bible-based reading is knowledge acquiring. Uh, we can learn uh, from from observing others from reading what others say uh, this is gaining knowledge through the experience of others not necessarily from ourselves we can learn and we can gain knowledge through our own experience some of us have to learn the, the hard way y'all have heard me say that before I'm, <laughs> I'm probably one that's got to learn the hard way most of the time I, I see another volunteer <laughs> uh, <coughs> but we don't have to. I mean, we can learn from, ex from other people's experience, but a lot of us learn from experience. Some of those things are good experiences. I'll say that. Uh, it's another God-given gift, I would say. We have a memory. God gave us with the ability to remember what happened before. We see something. We do something. We know how to do it. We learn how to do it. We can repeat that. The, me the memory that God gave us is a wonderful thing. Not, not only in learning how to do things, but remembering things about those loved ones in our lives, right? So I've learned this. When I cross a cattle fence, a barbed wire fence, I've learned to look for a hot wire. I learned the hard way at some point. It gets, it gets your attention and you never forget. So when I, see a, when I see a barbed wire fence and I see cows on the inside, I look for a this little wire, it's pretty hard to see sometimes. And then, let's not repeat the same mistakes over and over again. I, th I think we, we need to remember that. We, we learn from our own experience. We learn from what we do and shouldn't do, right? 
We can gain knowledge through faith as well. Faith is believing something that you can't necessarily prove. That's, that's, that's what faith is, right? We, we, don't, we, we can't prove a lot of things that we believe, but that's what faith is. Everyone has faith in something. Everybody. Even atheists believe there, there is no God, but they can't prove it. They can't prove it. That's, but that's faith. That's faith in something. Some Christians believe in evolution. Some Christians believe, y'all heard me right. Some Christians believe in evolution. Why? Because they lack the faith it takes to believe that the Bible says that God created the earth in six days. There's a lack of faith, but they're believing something. They're believing, they're putting their faith in something besides what the Bible says. It's a lack of knowledge and understanding that leads to sin. When we, when we miss our chance at the knowledge that God provides for us, whether it's through example, our own experiences, or our faith, when we miss the chances, we miss the chance to, to, to live the way the Lord wants us to. A lack of knowledge and understanding leads to sin. Some, some like it that way. John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus speaking, he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They weren't ignorant, you see. They didn't, they didn't not know. They had the knowledge of the truth, but they turned away. We can call it willful ignorance. Paul says here, though in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that this is all going to pass away. When we talk about knowledge, when we talk about faith, when we talk about prophecy, it all will pass away. Look back with me on that pa- in that passage. I'm going to read for us verses 8 through 10 again. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When perfection comes, what's perfection? What's this perfection that Paul is referring to here? There's been centuries of discussion about what that means. And there's differences, there's divisions within the church as to what this perfection might be. I'm going to just give us a couple of, a couple of, of things that it could be. I believe it, it is at least one of these, if not both. One would be the completion of God's word, perfection. I'd say that God's word has been completed perfectly. The Bible tells us that. At the time Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, God had only revealed part of his intended prophecy. The Bible, as we know it today, was still incomplete at the time he wrote this. There were more letters to write. There were more letters to come. There were more revelations from different apostles and different prophets. The revelation of Scripture is now complete. We can read about that in Revelation chapter 22. 
and I'll read that for us as well. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. The Apostle John, known as John the Revelator to a guy named Blind Willie Johnson, gospel writer, singer, wrote the song called John the Revelator, exactly about John the Revelator who wrote the book of Revelation. And this is what John writes to us in verses 18 and 19 of Revelation chapter 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the, in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The revelation is complete. John tells us that here. There's nothing to add. Don't take anything away. He said, I'm, it's finished. It's complete. Perfection has come. It's everything we need to know for what? It's everything we need to know for what? Life and godliness, the Bible tells us. Uh, Henry Morris said this, We have all the prophetic truth needed for the guidance of the church until Christ comes again. Right here. <clears throat> all that we need. Peter the Apostle, <clears throat> Peter the Apostle writes in 1 Peter 1, 3, He, Jesus, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The completion of God's word, perfection in our hands, for our knowledge, true knowledge, not knowledge like the world wants to give us, not knowledge like what we see and hear across the media and, and, and the Facebooks and the, you know, the social stuff. No, true knowledge. This is what everything should be judged by this. The completion of God's word is here with us. It's in its perfection. There's another, there's another scripture that reminds us of that, that we should read and believe and know that is for our benefit. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> and Paul writes this, starting about midway of, of verse 15. You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, God's word, complete everything we need to live life according to his will. Others believe that this perfection, or this coming perfection, as Paul calls it, written about here in 1 Corinthians, is a reference to the return of Christ. I, I would go with that. When you read through it, when you look at the context, that seems fitting for sure. We should all be prepared for that day. We've, we've heard about preparation. Why do we need to be prepared? The main point is to be prepared. We could get caught up in the details of when, how, 
What is that going to look like? Am I going to be raptured, taken up? Is it going to be before the tribulation, after the tribulation? Will there be a tribulation at all? The bottom line is, according to this passage, it's going to happen. The Lord is going to come back, and we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared today. We can't wait for tomorrow. I remember when I was a teenager, at one point in my life, the Lord was dealing with me on some issues, and I was at a, at a church summer camp, and you know, maybe you know how those can be, and the Lord really got my attention at some point, and I hesitated to commit, right? I hung back, I waited, I said, I'll put it off, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, but it was obvious in my countenance that there was some issue and a wise leader approached me and asked, what's the problem? What's the matter? I said, ah, it's okay, it's nothing. And he continued to probe and I pushed him away, continued to probe like a good leader does. And finally, I spilled the beans. I said, well, there's some things I need to deal with, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to put it off. See, that's sin at work in our lives. Anytime we push the Lord's approach off, sin has a control over us that we shouldn't allow in our lives. See, because we don't know what or when the next breath will be. Not, not to say that I necessarily would have gone, I was a Christian at that time, but there were some things I needed to get straight if we ignore these things in our life, they only get worse. They, the magnitude of them only grows. It, it never diminishes. It. We can't just push it off and expect it to go away. It grows. It gets stronger. So he urged me. I committed, and I understood. You know, there's a resolve that goes with living the kind of life that the Lord wants us to live. We resolve when we dedicate ourselves to him that from now on, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do according to what he tells me. You know, that, that is the love language of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says what? If you love me, you will obey me. He says it over and over again. He tells us that in his word. We should all be prepared for that day. Why? Because many things are going to happen that day. A lot of things are going to happen. Let's just talk about a couple of them. For one, all those gifts, the prophecies, the tongues, the knowledge, all those spiritual gifts given to us by the Lord to work in his church, to be the kind of member within the body of Christ that, that makes it complete, they're going to pass away. They won't be needed anymore. They're going to cease, the Bible says. Paul tells us it's gonna, they're going to go by the wayside because they will no longer be needed. There won't be any more need for them. Why? Because perfection, he says, perfection has shown up on the scene, right? Who's perfection? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's on the scene now. There's a lot of things we don't need anymore. He's perfect. Number two, the Bible says <clears throat> we live by faith, 
not by sight, right? Paul wrote that somewhere else. On that day, our, our faith will become our sight. What we see will be manifest before us where no faith is needed any longer. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see what? Face to face. Who are we going to be face to face with? Jesus. Jesus. Now in part, now I know in part, then I shall know him fully, even as I am fully known. You know, it occurred to me yesterday as I thought through this, that when we get face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be much more than an appearance. I think he's going to, he's going to give me a hug. It's going to be more than at a distance. It's going to be up close and personal. It's the thing that we all need. You see, it's, it's, it's love. It really is. Love has arrived on the scene when Jesus and perfection gets here. But it won't be that way for all. You see, this sermon would not nearly be comprehensive, would not nearly be complete if I didn't include this. It won't be that way for everybody. This day will also be a day of judgment. Romans 14, 11 says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We all have to meet and face the Lord someday. There's only one right answer when the Lord Jesus asks us, Why? Why should I allow you into my kingdom? Why should I allow you in a place of perfection? What have you done to deserve <clears throat> that kind of goodness? There's only one answer to that question. That is, I've trusted in you, Lord. I've dedicated my life to you. I've turned away from my sin. I've repented, and I've walked away from it. And I've walked, and I've followed you. That's the only answer. See, he died so that we could live life. You know, the passage there starts with love never fails. It's never late. It's always on time. Jesus is love. We can replace that word love throughout that passage with his name. Jesus has paid it all in love for us. 